Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcade Economics as we are now into 2024 covering the gold and silver markets. And fortunately, as always, uh, well, not Tuesday this week, but have our uh, Wednesday show with Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin, where take a look at his thoughts heading into the new year on a day where both gold and silver prices down quite a bit, but plenty to talk about. And Andy, it's great to have you here. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to everyone out there watching as well. And how's everything going with you today, my friend? You know, I love you like a brother, Chris. There are very few people I've ever met in this industry that I am as fond of as I am you. And I wish you and, uh, and your family and your your Yara and everyone and, and Nibbles a, a very, very happy and healthy 2024. I hope it's the best year ever for you. I thank you for uh, for for our friendship and for everything that we've done together over the years. I have a feeling this will be a very important year for everyone. Um, and I look forward to riding shotgun with you, man, and watching it all unfold. I, I think it's going to be a crazy year. And it's starting off that way, of course. And I, I would argue it even ended that way. But uh, I'm good. It was good to take some time off. Other than the fact, as I mentioned to you, I woke up New Year's Day morning to the fact that my guest bedroom was raining. My daughter and her friend uh, probably... Um, enjoyed new year's eve a little bit too much um somehow uh, overflowed the toilet in her bedroom for eight hours creating a literal waterfall in my uh guest bedroom so other than that, other than starting off new year's with a bang so to speak um it was good to take some time off but always glad to uh pick back up with you and uh and uh, take a look at what's going on around the world so as always thanks for having me back brother well, good to have you here, and certainly that's one way to start off the new year. But another don't way recommend to... it, by the way. <laughs> well, I could imagine not, and other things not so ideal as we are on the third day of the new year and seeing a bit of a waterfall decline in gold and silver. Gold down thirty three dollars on the day, silver down eighty two cents. Uh, gold still doing pretty well overall. I mean, again, we. We did have gold close the year over 2000, a nice rally towards the end of last week. So a little bit lower today, but any thoughts as we start the new year on perhaps what we saw last year, expectations of this year, and uh, and I guess in addition to that, if you have any thoughts on today's sell-off. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that um, gold actually did pretty well in the face of an environment of rising real interest rates, even, you know, we can put the shadow stats argument out of the equation. We don't have to talk about real interest rates, you know, being negative in, in face of a lying CPI metric, but in the face of, you know, 11 or whatever it was straight in uh, rate increases uh, up what, 500 basis points or whatever it was um, gold held up. You know, and there's a term in economics that speaks to the inverse relationship between real interest rates and gold. It's called Gibson's paradox. And this is why everyone thought gold would not do well in a rising interest rate environment. But lo and behold, it did. And, and you know, I think that despite the rate hikes that were supposedly bearish for gold, they it did very well. What happens now when the Fed has signaled capitulation 
to inflation, not victory in my opinion, but more along the lines of capitulation. They know they'll break the entire system if they continue to jack up rates. And what happens now as rates are going to at least short-term rates in the foreseeable future, if we believe the Fed and take all market fundamentals out of the equation and the possibility of black swan that pushes rates up, let's just take it at face value. How good would gold do in a falling rate environment now? I would argue probably better than it did in a rising rate environment. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the volatility is something I, I think we can continue to expect. And the volatility, which is orchestrated to a degree, I believe, is always kept within a range, a tight range, typically within a tight range. I don't expect we'll see it fall much further. Um, but it's kept in a tight range, and that volatility and that counterintuitive behavior, that counterintuitive action keeps keeps the, the large swath of the investing public out of the market. You look at what happened this morning, you know, it, it was up as it left uh, uh, the eastern physical markets in Asia, and the minute it closes out of Asia and hits the corrupt AM, PM fix on the, the London crap market and and the Colmex, boom, it goes straight down. It, it's just more of the same until it changes. But I think there, you know, as far as gold is concerned, I think 2000 appears to be the new support for gold. And, um, you know, it used to be a massive resistance. It seems to be support now. That's very bullish. Uh, I find it interesting that if we take a look at the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, gold hit all-time highs um, right at the end of the year, uh, on the L LBMA uh, at um, 2,069.40. It hit an all-time high on GLD, and yet there's absolutely zero hype about it. Um, there's there's no mainstream um, admission of, of Golden uh, as being part of a portfolio, and I find that to be very a very bullish indicator, very interesting. And, and that kind of goes part and parcel with what I've said to you over the last several weeks about availability and premium. It will go down as a mystery to me. How the hell? I mean, as a father, Chris, I got three kids. We were talking about them this morning, you and I, before we started this. And my youngest is 16, the one who who flooded my guest bedroom. I love you, Sasha, wherever you are. But, um, you know, I, I'm worried about the world she's growing up in. And yet, more so than ever. And yet, with gold at all-time highs, with, with massive craziness all around us here at home and 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 unwinding of, of of you know dollar supremacy little by little outside the country, they call it de-dollarization. Gold has gone unnoticed as it's reaching all-time highs. So it is a mystery to me how the investing public completely ignores what's happening. And and you know maybe to Al Gore's point that guys like you, the alternative media, are a threat to democracy because you know the mainstream is uh, is is not seeing all the same news. Well, the people who who listen to you and others like you and me, I think, are prepared for what's coming. They don't look at this drop in gold and silver as anything more than just the volatility we've all come to expect. But what it really does is it keeps the mainstream out of it. And therefore, you have low premiums, you have great availability, and here you have gold at all-time highs on the LBMA and on S uh, GLD going completely unnoticed. I believe 2024, there will be an inflection point where gold and silver become mainstream. I don't know what that is, but I have a very hard time believing there won't be a black swan event. I really, truly do. When you see this bullshit with the 14th Amendment trying to kick Trump off the ballot, it, it's, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I, I don't care if you are a 
diehard Democrat, you should be horrified by what you see. The last time we saw this shit was in, you know, Abraham Lincoln and preceded a civil war. You could argue we're in the midst of a civil war, just not pointing guns at one another or muskets at one another right now because red and blue hate each other. And, you know, it, it's bothersome. But going back to your, your question on gold and silver, I also find it interesting that on 1227, a couple of days before New Year's, the closing price of silver on the Shanghai Gold Exchange was 2650. And it closed on the CME at 2431. They're slowly turning up the that's 10% higher in Shanghai to purchase gold than it is in London or, or in New York. And what does that say to you? Gold's been as much as 120, 30 bucks an ounce higher in Shanghai as it has been on the Colmex and London Metals Exchange for, for a good portion of, of last year. What does that tell you? It tells me that the paper price that is controlling the market is beginning to little by little lose its credibility. And the real price is beginning to transition to a market where gold and silver are valued appropriately and, and more uh, in a, on a real-time basis. And the reason that these countries that are that are so hell-bent on accumulating tangibles, like Zoltan Pozar says, commodities which will dominate the new system, Bretton Woods 3, as he calls it, is because they're accumulating it. Why bitch when, when they can use the suppression against us and accumulate and stand for delivery? And, and that's exactly what we, we see happening. And when you see a situation where open interest on silver is 1,506% of the registered silver, meaning out of every 15 people, one would get their bars, 14 would be cash settled, but the market would break long before that. That force majeure, the admission that the market is, is rehypothecated. At some point, the whole Western system for price setting on commodities is exposed as a sham. And, and I think that's what little by little we're seeing with the Shanghai exchange repricing. So look, Yes, I would be lying if I said it doesn't bum me out to wake up to see this stupidity um, and more of the same, wishing that at some point it would end. But I do think the only way that you can suppress a market or manipulate a market rather over an extended period of time is to push it in the direction that it is going. When you see a country like India purchase pretty damn near 400 million ounces in the last two years of silver, more than the COMEX has altogether, it ought to tell you ultimately where it's going. When you see the Congressional Budget Office of the United States government come out last week or two weeks ago and say, in seven years, by 2031, 100% of every drop of tax revenue, uh, tax receipts, will go just to pay the interest on the debt plus mandatory entitlement spending like Social Security, which is $77 trillion underwater. You guys, a trillion seconds ago being 31,688 years ago, it's not a little bit. Um, ask yourself, how the hell do we maintain our uh, the, the position of dominance financially and militarily when 100% of discretionary spending will go, uh, including military, would have to be borrowed? So we're entering a period of time where this manipulation is a last-ditch effort. It is a hanging on to the, the vestiges of, of, of dollar dominance, but I think it reeks of desperation. And the rest of the world who sees things more clearly I think uses it as a subsidy. And, and that's exactly what you will see. Uh, until, until there are no ounces of gold and silver left to be delivered at these make-believe prices. And that's when I think you'll see a swing from the West to the East in terms of price-setting 
mechanisms and authenticity of of exchanges. So, you know, uh, bottom line is this is being used against us. The leverage that we create to create these perceptions of reality, uh, these illusions of reality, is is falling right into the hands of the countries like the BRICS. Uh, who are voraciously accumulating it. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So a um, lot to unpack today, a lot to talk about. But in terms of gold and silver, that's kind of where where I would lay things and say, um, don't worry, this this will pass and we'll be right back up to where we were. But it won't be easy no matter what. And if you are buying and holding metals to get wealthy, it will be a brain-numbing experience. If you're holding metals because you understand it is wealth that has outlived everything the world's thrown at it for the last 5,000 years, then rest easy. And if you have the ability to buy when they do stupid things like this, like the Chinese would be doing, like the Russians would be doing, or the Saudis, or any of these other countries who are de-dollarizing and finding value in gold and silver instead of opaque treasuries, then use it as a subsidy the way they do and, and don't bum out about it. Um, and that's the only way I think you I can rationalize these counterintuitive, stupid uh, drive-by shootings. Well, I hear you. And certainly, uh, if you're following this on a day-to-day -day basis, days like today, not always as much fun. Although, what you mentioned, a few, few points you mentioned there remind me of something I saw earlier this morning. There's a note from Dave Pranzler citing the head of the BIS's Monetary and Economic Department, William White. He gave an address to some folks in Switzerland, and Dave highlighted an uh, interesting comment here. And last, the provision of international credits and joint efforts to influence asset prices, especially gold and foreign exchange in circumstances where this thought might be useful. Uh, interesting comment there, perhaps speaks to what you're getting at in in terms of us not having perhaps what would seem like a freely traded gold price and certainly you have comments like this pop out from time to time remember back in paul volker's autobiography before he passed away a couple of years he had a comment about how coming out of the london gold rule they wanted to prevent the gold price from rising so well what about what about uh the uh the camp down. What was his name recently? Uh, you know oh, who I'm talking. About. Yes, I mean, what this was, this was silver squeeze. He said we had to tamp it down to, or would have got out of control, right? So it, it's there is no question. And you got the head of the CFTC, you know, saying we had to tamp it down. Uh, and would you send me that that article from Dave? I, I I try to catch a, most of what Dave says, but it's so difficult to find information constantly. It's it's so changing. You miss one day, you may miss something like that. I'd like to to see that. In fact, that's similar to what I asked you about this morning off air. I think it's important, and it's true. They're trying to maintain the status quo, and and the status quo is being used against us. And that's that's part of the deal. So, you know, look, I think it plays right. It falls right into the hands of of those countries. Now, I don't know um, if you and I talked at all. And by the way, do you want to is there anything else you want to say before I continue on with some other stuff? No, go ahead, please. I don't know if we talked about uh, Dubai, United Arab Emirates last week. Uh, I don't think we did. And I think it's important just to mention one thing about the BRICS, because you know, I've talked a lot about the BRICS on your show and everyone's show for the past four years. And 
it's starting to materialize. Now, we did just see um, not only acknowledgement, but full admittance into the BRICS of the five countries, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Ethiopia, uh, Iran, and the United Arab Emirates. They're in, and um, they've acknowledged that. And I want to say that, you know, I have made big, um, put a lot of emphasis on Saudi Arabia joining the BRICS, joining the Belt Road Initiative, joining the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which let's not forget is the largest financial and military regional group in the world. Um, and, and I made a really big deal about them saying to the folks at the World Bank meeting last year that, yeah, we're open to listening to, to other countries who want to pay in other currencies other than the dollar. That was a big deal, very provocative, but not as provocative as what the United Arab Emirates said. And it's interesting, if you try to find this article, there, there's one article that was written by MSN, and um, it's very difficult to find, but let me explain. So the United Arab Emirates, if you remember, just a couple of weeks ago, held a summit in Dubai. 200 countries for the United Nations came to Dubai uh, for a climate change meeting. And it was presided over, ironically, by the head of the um, United Nations, or, uh, United Arab Emirates state-owned oil and gas company. And he told the former president from Ireland, you know, if we go this way, we go green, you're going to send civilization back to the caves. You can see where their mind is. Now, let's remember that the United Arab Emirates is the seventh largest producer of oil in the world. They're an OPEC member. They were just admitted into BRICS alongside Saudi Arabia. Um, they've been Western friendly. But two days before 200 countries come into Dubai, and there's no coincidence, in my opinion, on the timing of this, they tell the world that we're done taking dollars for oil moving forward. And that's a major shot across the Western bow. But what I find even more compelling, remember, remember the last time a couple countries said that? You got Gaddafi and Hussein and what happened to their regimes and to their countries. Putin, who hasn't left Russia but maybe twice in the last two years, makes an impromptu trip to Dubai flanked by four Russian MiG jets. And what did he tell the head of the state-owned oil company? What did he tell the leaders of United Arab Emirates? Was it something like, we've got your back, don't worry? And then he immediately goes from there to Saudi Arabia, where OPEC then announces an increase of their uh, decrease, uh, an increase of the decrease, to, from 1 million to 2 million barrels decreased of production per day. They they have, um, you know, said, no, we're not going to only decrease by 1 million, we'll make it two. And that was right after Putin came to visit. So I find it very interesting that these types of stories get very little attention. But when you see a country like UAE, who has been traditionally Western friendly, who has just joined the BRICS, who is an OPEC country, say we don't want dollars anymore, and then gets an impromptu uh, visit from Putin and then goes to Saudi Arabia and, the, and they up the, the decrease in, in oil production to 2 million barrels a day. Is it coincidental? Was it coincidental that the timing of it, with 200 countries coming for a climate change meeting uh, for the United Nations in Dubai, all of these things, and you have to ask yourself, is it coincidental or is it much bigger than that, deeper than that? To me, it is a big deal, a very, very, very big deal. So well, the only other thing that I'd like to mention, you know, last time we talked, we talked about the 20 countries that 
were coming in. We didn't, I didn't name them and I have the list, but I, in going through the list of every one of them, it became very evident. There are two characteristics of the 20 countries that have formally applied. One, massively resource rich from rare earths to precious metals to natural gas or oil. And two, um, really, really, really tied into shipping lanes. When it's all said and done, all of the countries that are applying, they will have full control of the Suez Canal and the Red Sea. Um, but all of the issues going on right now with the Suez Canal and the Red Sea fall right into the hand of the BRICS because there's this new north-south corridor that is almost completed in Russia, which will save over 10 days uh, travel time instead of going around, I think it's called the Cape of Good Hope, go right through this corridor and it'll be permission-based. But the point of it is, is that they don't need to go through or around the uh, the Suez Canal. There's another way of getting there. So um, what I'm getting at is that this, this BRICS narrative that I've been following is growing with legitimacy by the day. You add on to it the other 20 countries minimum that have formally, informally expressed interest and 20 who have formally applied. This is, this is something not to take lightly. And that's why I like the term logarithmic decay. Like the 20th country on the list is Venezuela. Well, who cares about Venezuela, right? Well, they're the largest known oil deposits reserves in the world. Uh, deposits, naturally, I mean, they're there. They could exploit them. And, you know, little by little by little by little by little by little by little, the, the hegemony of the dollar is being challenged. And that's why I think part of the reason why you see such an overt effort to, you know, not allow gold and silver to rise because gold and silver aren't just commodities. What they are is an indication of the health or the fragility of the Western system. So expect more volatility. And if you want to win, and it's easy for me to say this, owning a gold and silver company, right? I get it, but that's not why I'm saying it. If you want to win, you have to buy on the dips because the most sophisticated, well-informed money on the world in the world is not stopping accumulating. And price isn't so important to them when you see the central banks buying more gold again this year over the last two years and at any time in history. What does it tell you? When you see India importing 400 million ounces of silver, what does it tell you? When you see countries saying, we don't want dollars anymore, what does it tell you? When you see massive divisiveness in this country, questions about the safety of our borders, and that questions is a, a nice way of saying it, and of the election, what does it say to you? So all of this stuff is all connected together and ultimately I think will lead to a, let's just say a downturn in the standard of living in this country and the desire to hold dollars in our treasuries, I think is something that will go, will, will be less and less and less and less compelling for the majority of the world, uh, especially for a country that has more or less signaled that they have chosen inflation over austerity. So all of these macro events play into gold and silver because gold and silver are not investments. They are wealth. And the, the big money, the central banks who are building their war chest, Bretton Woods three, I think they understand this. And this is why there is not global outrage about the Western suppression of the metals because it plays right into the hands of the countries who give a shit. The countries who aren't accumulating it, though there's no talk of it like the West, you don't even hear it. But that's one of the big things, I think, Chris, is that the part of the reason so many people have no idea what's coming 
is our media does a horrible job of of showing us reality and especially reality of what's going on outside the country. So, yeah, I think that on days like today, you you feel like just shutting off your computer and going outside. Not a bad idea, but um, I don't think it changes anything at all other than just adding a slight bit of anger and frustration and a couple more gray hairs. But other than that, in the end, mathematics, economics, and logic will prevail the way they always do. It doesn't matter what variables you throw into it. Mother Nature wins in the end. And I think the world is growing tired of of our hegemony, this 500-year Western hegemony, I think, and, and the mismanagement of the currencies and the suppression and the bullying and all of these things. I think it's coming to an end. And and then you look at what's going on in this country and see the craziness and the divisiveness and and the lawlessness and the lack of respect for authority and wondering if 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 liberty really is and justice really is blind. Is it treated equally? And all these things that made America great, people are, I think, calling into question for the first time globally. And and that all incentivizes this coalition. And it's it's in fact accelerates it. So I know I say a lot of the same things talking about BRICS and this development, because to me, it is the most important thing. Everything else to me is noise. Yes, it's relevant. The micro things are relevant, especially for the here and now, but the big picture, where in seven years, everything that this country takes in in tax receipts will go just to pay the interest on the debt and Social Security and other mandatory entitlements. And everything discretionary, including protecting this country militarily, will be borrowed. How does that make us the world dominant superpower? And ask yourself, is this why things are being done the way they are? Is this why they're using the Western suppression of the markets to blur the reality so that they can pickpocket the world of their tangible resources before everyone realizes that it should be a, 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 a fast grab, whatever you can? And that's the problem with this country. Instant gratification is not quick enough. And I, I'll give credit to to the BRICS nations. I, I, I'm certainly not rooting for Team BRICS, but I give them credit. They do things in a methodical fashion, and they're, they're well thought out And uh, instead of just shotgunning. But um, I guess what I'm really trying to say in all of this is that what happened with the price today, while it's annoying, doesn't mean shit. Because all it is is an opportunity to see the world for what it is and to protect yourself and your family at a less cost, at less of a cost than it was yesterday, and and I mean that. Um, I know it's frustrating, though, and I acknowledge that as well. Well, I hear you, and again, perhaps why taking a step back from watching it a day to day can go a long way. Sometimes, I mean, we talked about earlier, gold still near its all time high and in positive territory. Silver struggling a bit, although uh, perhaps one last note before we wrap up. It was interesting. We saw Costco was selling gold last year. Now we can add Walmart to that list. Again, we have a lot of movements by various states to create depositories or change the legislation regarding tax or other elements of gold and silver. So yes, happening internationally with the things that are going on with the BRICS and some of those developments. Also seeing it a bit at home in the U.S. here as well. So, Well, this article is kind of fugazi because Walmart's been selling gold much longer than Costco. Walmart's been doing it for well over a year, if not two, and they just more or less uh, use AppMex to do it. The prices aren't really competitive, um, and it's nothing new. What is new is Costco, um, but AppMex has been doing this with AMARC for at least two years, if not longer, 
Um, but it is, it's a sign of the times. And, you know, um, I think it's great if it wakes people up uh, because most people in this country have no idea what's coming and therefore can't get out of the way of it if you don't see it. But yeah, uh, it is. It's 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 an interesting development where you have these big box stores realizing um, that there's a market for gold and silver. So uh, I'm not um, surprised one bit at all, to be honest with you. And uh, welcome to welcome to the market. Well, I hear you. And Andy, before we wrap up, anything on special this week that people should know about if anyone is looking to add to their gold or silver stack at this particular time? Yeah, we do. The one thing that I find that we have that's really interesting, actually, is the um, one ounce silver bars that are, uh, I got a picture of them right here. They're 315 over the price of silver. They're the Trump for wanted for president at $3.15 over the price of silver. Um, I think that we also have the one ounce silver Noah's Ark coins at $3.49 over. Um, so look, everything's on sale, Chris, everything, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and no matter what you buy, it's a good time to do so. The premiums, uh, much like what we were saying about there's no buzz on the mainstream and gold's at all time highs last week. Everything is on sale and the premiums are the lowest I've seen since prior to the pandemic. The availability, especially right now, is the best it's been because when I say especially right now, I'll give you a, like an inside to inside view to a company like mine. We are required, required is not the right word, but in my mind, obliged to spend copious amounts of money right now in securing 2024 product. There are mints and refineries and dealers, the big primary dealers, whom we would like to maintain forever, uh, a favorable view. Um, we want to be at the top of the, the list, top of the food chain. Well, when the 2024 allocations come out, if you are not buying lots of these new allocations, then you slide down the the preferred list, so to speak. So all the big dealers right now are, are spending tens of millions of dollars or more on securing 2024 allocations in Eagles and Maples and Krugerrands and Philharmonics and Britannias and uh, you know, uh, what name, what, whatever, any of these products or, or bars from refineries like they'll can be that we just saw on the, on that ad there or whatever. So between the 2024 allocations uh, and the fact that the mainstream is sleeping at the switch, um, there's great value everywhere. But uh, those, those Trump wanted for president, I only have about 7,000 of them. I don't know how many we have left now, but they're very, very cool. They use his mugshot. Um, and, you know, say what you want about President Trump, but I'll tell you something. And I, I watched these two buffoons running our White House now. Both of them can't speak coherently for six seconds, and I'm humiliated every time I watch it. Uh, I think it is a an embarrassment to this country, uh, our, our political um, position, and, and it's not Democrat or Republican. Put that all aside for a moment. And just look at these idiots speak. And it, it just, it's its embarrassing. So I don't care who it is, we need a change in the White House. So 
buy these Trump bars and pass them out to your friends and family. And, you know, let's hope for, let's hope for some change heading into, uh, into 2025, because God help us if not. And I would tell you, if not, if we see more of the same, you will see, I think, uh, that's when the bricks go flip the switch and go, you know, full aggression. They start to really double down on, 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 on challenging the dollar supremacy. But, um, and, and again, you know, if I were someone like Xi Jinping and, and I'm looking at Taiwan, you got to wonder, does he wonder if Trump makes it in? And if so, he, he's got what, seven, eight months to make his move. I don't know. He's already said publicly he'll stop at nothing to reunify. I'm just saying there are lots of things out there. You know, you look at the last time we saw something on the um, uh, World uh, the World Economic Forum's website. What was it? It was a pandemic. And lo and behold, what happened? Well, you know what it is now? It's a cyber attack uh, event simulation. And and is there any coincidence that the Obamas produced that movie on Netflix about a cyber attack? And would they go to these types of lengths to postpone or delay or, or cancel an election first time in history? I don't know. I mean, they're they're crazy enough to do this shit with the 14th Amendment and and kick Trump off the ballot. Again, that resulted in a civil war last time when they did that to Abraham Lincoln. Are we are we that stupid to think that these actions don't have equal and opposite reactions? And I guess we'll see. But I guess what I'm getting at is I honest to God, I believe this will be the most eventful year or interesting year of my career. And that's going on 34 years. And, you know, that's a Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times, ironically. So like I said at the onset of this, I love and appreciate you like a brother. And I really do look forward to, because you're insightful as hell and you see things in a way that that a lot of people don't, uh, I look forward to riding shotgun with you um, uh, through 2024 and with Kranzler and Vince and, and Rafi and all the wonderful, insightful people that you have on your team that, you know, there will come a day when you will be owed a debt of gratitude, a big by the public for doing all that you can. And this will sound really goofy and I don't mean it to sound goofy be, because I'm not a very religious person. I'm very spiritual, but you are doing God's work. You're doing something that is thankless right now. Um, and I, for one, thank you, but there will come a time when the people whom you've helped protect their assets, when this all blows up, uh, will understand exactly what you've seen so clearly long before others did. You have the same curse I think I do, and that is you see things long before they happen, but your decisions are rooted in logic and in mathematics and in economics, and those things play out. It's just a matter of how and when. So anyways, I'm looking forward to watching it all unfold with you, and uh, I wish you and your family and everyone out there a very happy and mostly healthy prosperous 2024 and um i look forward to picking up where we left off with you next week well appreciate that andy and certainly will be an eventful year obviously the election should be quite a circus coming up but we will see how it all unfolds and thanks for making some time to join me as always and we'll look forward to catching up with you soon take it easy brother thank you